If you would turn to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21, and I'll read verse 1, and I'll try to unpack that tonight before we do our Q&A session. 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1, and I'm reading from the King James Version. It reads, then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. I'm going to read that again. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. Now, the backdrop of Saul killing the Gibeonites can be found in Joshua chapter 9. But for the sake of time, I will try to unpack this verse and connect it to Joshua 9 to give you a clear understanding of what is going on here. Israel at this time is being led by David. David had been on the throne at this time for nearly 30 years. God sends a famine in Israel for something that Saul had done. Now keep in mind, Saul at this time was dead for 30 years and David was on the throne for 30 years and God sends a famine. In year one, David said to himself, you know, uh, this is strange. The ground is not producing any fruit, any crops, and the cattle is dying. The, the earth has become brass and the heaven is providing no rain. Year two, the same thing progressed. And by year three, David finds himself going to Jerusalem to ask God, what is going on? Has anyone ever asked God that question before? Lord, what is going on? And if you haven't, that's a good place to start when things seem perplexing. David does, does this and God answers David and says, the reason why you are seeing three years consecutively, the text says year after year, three years of consecutive famine is because of what Saul did. Saul killed the Gibeonites. Now, who were the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites were some treacherous people. After surrounding regions in Canaan saw that Israel had defeated Jericho and they defeated Ai, they tried to form leagues and pacts. They tried to form an allegiance to see if they can overthrow Israel, but Israel could not be overthrown because they had God leading them. And you know, by this time, you have kings that have been set up, and that was not God's initial plan during the days of the judges. God was the king of Israel, but Israel wanted to be just like the other surrounding nations. So here we have it. Israel is now being attacked by Jericho and I. They defeat Jericho and I. And now the Gibeonites say, you know what? We're in a nearing region, and we want to find a way to become amalgamated to Israel. 
So they came up with a plan. They lied and tricked Israel and told them that they had come from a distant land. And they said that when they traveled to that region, that they, their bread was hot. It was fresh out of the oven. I don't know if it was sourdough bread. I don't know if it was unleavened bread, but the bread must have been good. They took it with them on a long trip. So they suppose they claimed that their feet were dusty because of their long journey. They said that their wine had gone stale. And so therefore they wanted to join Israel and the leaders did not inquire of God to see if the Gibeonites were telling the truth. And as a result of this, they said yes to the Gibeonites when they should have said no. Saul became angry. Saul is also a descendant of the Gibeonites. And Saul said, you know what? I'm going to fix the Gibeonites. This is what I'm going to do. Regardless of the agreement that we have established with them, I am going to kill them. So Saul goes in and concocts a plan to destroy the Gibeonites. He kills hundreds of Gibeonites that day. And because of that, God becomes angry. God doesn't do anything in the moment. But nearly 30 years later, he sends a response to the bloodshed. And God's response to the bloodshed was a famine. And since 1973, America has killed innocent babies in the womb. And we have done it with this flawed notion that a woman should have the right to make a choice about what is growing in her womb and make a decision to kill her baby. Since 1973, nearly 64 million babies have been aborted in the womb. And if God responded, through the shedding of the blood of the innocent Gibeonites who truly weren't innocent, they were tricksters. If God responded and sent a famine as a result of killing the Gibeonites, how do you think God is going to respond to America? I want to leave with you tonight a subject entitled Signs That We're In a Famine. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, but America is in a famine. When you see the constant uh, incline of smashing grabs in our nation, when you see the political unrest, when you see the racial tensions in our country, these are signs that we are in a famine. Consider the indoctrination in our public schools. Our children are being fed a steady diet of communism, socialism, and Marxism. They are being told to hate their nation. My last name is Nigerian. It's Amanchukwu. It means I know God. In 2003, I had the chance to go to Africa. I went to the motherland. I've seen it. And when I got back to the United States of America, I was a happy man. Because although I had seen the motherland, I appreciate all of the freedoms that we have in this nation. America, come on, you can clap your hands. America isn't a perfect nation, 
nor will I label it as a racist nation. It's a sinful nation. The Bible says that all have what? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you can love something or someone that isn't perfect. If you're married, our spouses do it for us all the time. (laughs) Crystal has been loving me for the past 14 years and she's allowed me to make it to my 15th anniversary in November. And she has loved me despite the fact that I'm not perfect. And this famine that has been released in our land is one that is eroding the very soul of America. Who would have ever thought that our children would be taught to call students by their preferred pronoun in kindergarten? Who would have ever thought we'd be taught to do so? And in Wisconsin, there's a case that's going on right now where some middle school boys are in trouble. They've been charged with sexual harassment. Why? Because they failed to call a student by his proper pronoun. This is a sign that we are in a famine. And we're also in a famine because, unlike your pastor Gary Hamricks, we have preachers who are afraid to preach the unadulterated word of God. We have preachers who are less of watchmen and more like wimps. We have wimps mounting our sacred pulpits all around this country and they're preaching a steady diet of easy believism, cheap grace, and lies to congregations to keep rear ends in the pew. But I want to tell you today, what we need more than ever is preachers who are not afraid to stand on the word of God and call right, wrong, and wrong, right, and put things in its proper place. This is what we need. So, I want to share with you 10 things that most pastors are afraid to say today. Number one, the average pastor is hard pressed to admit and acknowledge that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that there's only two places that you will go. Heaven or hell. You know, the notion of hell is not talked about anymore. Everyone goes to heaven. Everyone goes. But a church that has lost her destination is a church that doesn't know where she is going. And we all know that if we name the name of Christ, we will see Jesus Christ in heaven. Number two, you're hard pressed to find a preacher who would tell you that critical race theory has no place in the church. Let me say that again. Critical race theory has no place in the church. You see, racism is not a color or a skin tone. Racism is a sin. It's sin. You know, they say through critical race theory that whites are inherently racist. That's not true. What if a person gets born again, you ask a critical race theorist? They still believe that you're inherently racist because of the color of your skin. Well, here's the reality with that. Racism is a choice. You choose to look at your brother or sister in Christ 
through a prejudice or bias lens. This is a choice. And we don't need worldly terms to help us deal with biblical uh, racial reconciliation. We have the word of God. And the Bible tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. One of the leading voices on critical race theory says that the best way to deal with past racism is present racism. Where do you find that? Through Genesis, through Revelations. We're taught in the word of God to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. We're taught through scriptures to render to not render evil for evil, nor railing for railing, nor accusation for accusation. But on the contrawise, the King James Version says blessing that you might inherit a blessing. Number three, there are only two genders. Come on. Only two. When you go to social media, you find out that there's 72 different pronouns and 72 different genders. That's not true. And doctors do not assign gender to children. God does that. All you have to do is use two eyes or four eyes and you will be able to see what that child is. And it's important that we also push this notion because we have men who are confusing the fact that they might have a beer gut with their ability to bring forth a child. (laughs) Men cannot bring forth children. And it's an affront towards women for a man to claim that they can do what I witnessed my wife do three times. The wonderful miracle of childbearing and child delivering. So for a woman to have to go through so much pain and agony in that moment to deliver a child, to have a man now claim that he can do the same thing, we need men to stand up and be a voice and fight against that ungodly lie because it's not true. Number four, cowardice is not a fruit of the spirit and it especially looks bad on the back of a pastor. Too many preachers have caved and we've started to preach liberal feel-good sermons to make people happy and to make people feel good. The role of the preacher is not to make people feel good. The role of the preacher is to make people feel the way that they should feel based upon how they are living. And if you feel conviction, that's good. It's called the Holy Spirit who tugs on your heart and reminds you that there is a greater standard. But the more the preacher waters down the gospel and makes it fitting for those who want to hear it, we reduce the ability for God to convict and to confront those who are lost. Number five, it's it's asinine to say that calling abortion murder is a white evangelical worldview. It's not a white evangelical worldview. It's a biblical worldview. And the Bible is clear on what it says about the killing of the unborn. The Bible lets us know in Proverbs 6 and 17 that we should not shed innocent blood. The Bible speaks against seven things that God hates and one of which is the shedding of innocent blood. God abhors that sin. And then number six, God will not only judge, judge us based upon what we have done in our bodies, 
but he will also judge us based upon how we vote. It is not, oh, come on, you can clap there. Oftentimes we pray one way and vote another. But if we have a true biblical worldview, our biblical worldview always deals with the world smudge that's placed upon our lens. It helps us see clearly so that we can make the right choices in our families, in the church, but especially in the marketplace. Number seven, although same-sex marriage is legal in the eyes of God, it's still not right. I want to say to you, do not allow the tactic of jamming to cause you to accept things that God has called ungodly. And you know, just because you might see that sin show up in your family, it's true, it happens all the time. That doesn't give you a right now to change your biblical worldview on what God has said. God's truth is not right because of man. God's truth makes man right, not the other way. So we must hold to what we know to be sound truth. Number eight, 10 mothers will never equate to one father. And 10 fathers will never equate to one mother. If you're a single parent, you can do the best that you can, mom, but you'll never be a father. But we pray for you. We support you. We ask that you ask that family members will jump in and do the heavy lifting of helping train that young man to be a man indeed and vice versa. If you're doing that, dad, number nine, the public school system hates the God of the Bible. Let me say that again. The public school system hates the God of the Bible. And if this is the case, how can they properly love, teach and train our precious arrows? And number 10, here's a whopper. You can't be pro-abortion and name the name of Christ at the same time. Amen. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And as we prepare for our transition... These are 10 things that pastors are afraid to say. The final one is true. And we're going to see more and more propaganda as we even draw near towards November. And even the coming of the Lord, people will find ways, cheap tactics to trick us, to get us divided against one another based upon the color of our skin. It's imperative that we know that we are all one blood. Christ has made us one and that should be the banner by which we all rest our truth and what we commit to. Thank you so much for this time. I've got so much that I want, oh my goodness, and I'm oh, looking wow. at what was texted in too. <laughs> um, and so I want to take advantage of the time, John, and yes. um, try to ask you as many of these questions as possible. We were talking earlier back in, in uh, behind stage here before we came out and tell them a little bit about the gentleman that you ran into at the barber shop because this has to do with, um, well, just racism in general. So tell that story a little bit. Sure. Thank you so much. So I go to the barber shop. I know you're probably saying, man, you're bald. <laughs> in the world does he go to the barbershop? <laughs> but it's true. All right, I use my Gillette in the shower, but I go to the barbershop to get my, my beard lined up with a straight razor, yeah. okay? Okay. <laughs> the old-fashioned way. 
But um, I ran into a gentleman yesterday by the name of Mr. Fuller. Mr. Fuller was born in 1938. He's 84 years of age. And he just started talking about his life experiences. He told me that in 1962, he went to go vote. And at this time, Jim Crow laws were at a height. They were very prevalent in the South. And he, when he went to go vote, he saw the dogs being turned on people as they cast their vote. He saw Bull Connor uh, turning fire hoses on people. And it was a lot of just racial tension taking place. And so when he went to go cast his vote, he told the lady that, you know, I want to vote for anything but a Democrat. I don't want to vote for a Democrat and I don't want to vote as a Democrat. Give me any other ballot that you have. And the lady says to him, um, well, you can you can vote as a Republican if you would like to. And he says, well, you know, I don't know much about a Republican. Then she said, you know, you can cast your vote as an independent. So he's 84 and he's still a registered independent. And I, this sticks out to me because the notion is oftentimes told that the Republican Party is the party of racism and we're the ones who propagated yeah. uh, the KKK. And these things are lies. You know, if we properly know our history, we can learn from men like Mr. Fuller and know that the true people in the South at that time that was doing that was really the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, Christ is for all parties. He's for all. God is supreme. The Republican Party is now supreme. Liberals are now supreme. God is supreme. The Bible says that God be true and every man a liar. But it's imperative that we know the truth when we go to cast our votes. Yeah, that's right. And to to vote our values, our biblical values. Yes, yes, yes. So break down for us, because, you know, these, these abbreviations are used. So break down for us CRT yes. and break down for us BLM and yes. why these are dangerous things right now that are right. being, uh, you know, perpetrated upon the American people. Great question. So critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory that was started in the Frankfurt School of Germany um, by Karl Marx and many of the um, philosophers of that day, Grimshi and many others. Uh, critical theory uh, is a canopy. It's an umbrella that houses all kinds of other leftist and woke terms like intersectionality, like hegemonic power, like queer theory and the patriarchal system. All of these terms are housed under critical theory. But then you have critical race theory, which is a lens that says that whites are inherently racist and it causes you to find racism in every action and encounter that you might see in society. So according to a critical race theorist, they may say that the only reason why I'm on this stage tonight is because of tokenism, Mm -hmm. not because I'm learned, not because I'm well educated, not because I'm articulate, but because they need a black man to fight against critical race theory. See, people have passed out victimization to blacks as a crown, but only fools put it on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. They, they, many wear the garland Mm -hmm. (laughs) of of, of victimization 
as an ornament or a trophy. I am not a victim. Right. You know, one of the things that I can point out about Mr. Fuller, uh, he, he retired after 31 years. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's still um, dibbling and dabbling into real estate and other ventures. And when he left the barbershop, he walked out of the, of the building and went to his BMW and he drove off. So much for critical race theory. That's right. Um, as it relates to the Black Lives Matters movement, the yeah. notion of BLM, the name, it sounds good, but it's not balanced because when you go to the website that was up, they That's took right. it down. That's it. Yes, All right. They, t- they took it down. When you go to the website, you, um, you see that BLM is against the nuclear family. The black uh, population, the greatest challenge that, challenge that we are experiencing and encountering today is not white supremacy, it's fatherlessness. That's right. And so instead of putting the focus on that major issue that would restructure our communities because so goes the father, so goes the family. Yes. But the liberal left loves to keep us in, the, in, 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 in darkness, you know. Uh, blacks have become the cheap prostitutes of the Democratic Party. Mm. They screw us and, and barely pay us and we keep coming back for more. They... they, they <laughs> They love, yeah. they, they love, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and so share, share BLM. the statistic about fatherlessness in the yes. black community. Yes, so, uh, yes. Well, from, from the early 1900s to 19, 1968, right around the death of MLK, the black marriage rate rivaled that of whites. Blacks fared better under Jim Crow laws than we do even now, but... Uh, the black marriage rate now, 78 to, or, or about 76% of black homes are without a father. Right. And the reason why is because Lyndon B. Johnson came along with a new deal of a great society, which is really a raw deal to destroy the black family, but also to create a massive voting block mm-hmm. that would vote for the sake of free stuff. Okay, and so this is what created welfare states. That's right. And with it, with, within this, the black father was replaced with a re, with a four hundred dollar check. Yeah. And if dad were to come home, then the check would leave. And so the family had to choose the check or the father. Um, not too long ago, we had a presidential candidate. Um, VP candidate uh, say that they were going to reduce poverty in the black community by $400 because of providing a check, another check. There's this notion that government is daddy and God, but there's only one God. That's right. God is God. Yeah. And when I heard that, I said to myself, well, I'm so glad that my wife, Crystal, you know, and my children don't need a check to reduce poverty in the Amanchukwu family because they have a father who was in place exactly. and in, in the home. And the last thing on, yes. on, on BLM, um, there are two things that seeks to... Uh, Eliminate the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God, and that is abortion, mm-hmm. and, and that also is the LGBTQ agenda. Both of these remove the image of God. If we abort the baby, we have aborted the image of God. 
And if two men and two women try to come together, you can't reproduce. So there is no furtherance of the image of God. God loves his image and he wants to propagate his image so that mankind can be in right fellowship with him. And so these two tools that have been released in our culture are damaging the very image of God. Yes. Now, along those lines, yeah. I'm getting some great questions, too, but things you're saying are triggering in in my mind (laughs) follow-up questions because um, we know, but not everybody understands that Margaret Sanger had an agenda, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and and her agenda really was targeting the black community. Talk about that because your father-in-law shared a statistic that that was staggering to me, and and so share the statistic about abortion related to... uh, uh, ovulating black women in America sure, and that sure. statistic. So talk about that a little right. bit. So blacks make up 13% of the overall population in this country. There yep. was a time where blacks were the largest minority group, but now it's Hispanics. And that's because most, most of Hispanics are true to the traditional family. Right. Many of them are Catholic or and or Protestant. And when it comes to abortion, they, they don't do that. Right. Um, Black women represent uh, 8% of the overall population for blacks, and black men represent 5%. Of the black women who are ovulating, they represent nearly 3 to 4% of the black population. Of the American population. Of the, yes, yes, right. of, of the American population. And they account for nearly 38 to 40% of the overall abortions in this it, nation. It's staggering. Yes, that's staggering. That is a, that's what you call black genocide. Yes. And what I can't figure out is why isn't the NAACP talking about this issue? When Roe v. Wade was overturned, the NAACP came out and used fear tactics to convince blacks that taking away Roe v. Wade and stopping that from taking place is going to harm the black family. When it's not going to harm the black family, 64 million babies have been aborted since uh, 1973, of which 20 million are black. Mm -hmm. According to a pastor by the name of Clenard Childress, he said that if the current rate and trend of abortion continues in the black community by 2038, the black vote will be non-existent. You're right. And so we need to do everything we can to fight these God awful laws that have come into our community to abort all kinds of babies. But also for me, especially for black babies, you know, because I'm a black father who wants to see blacks live. Who who wouldn't? Right. Um, Abortuaries uh, clinics are placed strategically in the black community. This is a tactic and a tool of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger said that she she wanted to exterminate and to eliminate the black population. And that she was going to use charismatic preachers, black preachers, Mm -hmm. to deal with the rebellious Negroes who would reject this ideology. Well, I must be a rebellious Negro. (laughs) And we might have some other rebellious Negroes in here because I'm fighting 
abortion with everything that I have because I want to see black babies have yeah. a chance yeah. to be the image of God. When, when you spoke at the TP uh, Faith uh, Conference, yes. was it there or, were, or did you personally tell me, I can't remember now, yes. that you were challenged because you were outside of an abortion yes. clinic and you got challenged like this was an, uh, a white issue. Correct. What? And, and so um, during the summer of 2020, as we all watched anarchist. Yeah. Yeah. Burned down yeah. city after city while mayors and governors stood back and said, defund the police. Yeah. We, wa- we witnessed this after the death of George Floyd. While being at one of the largest abortion clinics in the southeast, a, a black father came up to me while wearing a BLM shirt. And he said to me, why are you out here fighting a white man's issue? And I was very alarmed in that moment. He came very close to me. It became very confrontational, mm. you know, but I'm a leader. And so I had to take the high road in, in that moment. <laughs> but right. I was I was not happy about, about that. Yeah. Um, but on that on that Saturday, uh, 70 percent of the people outside of the abortion clinic trying to save the babies were white. But nearly 80 to 85 percent of the moms in the clinic prepared to abort their baby. They were black. But this black father, as he prepares to abort his posterity, right. he's going to say to another black man that's out here trying to save babies right. that I'm fighting a white man's issue. How did that philosophy or that thinking take right. hold? Well, that is the undercurrent of critical race theory. Yeah. Right. Because if I were to ask him what is critical race theory in that moment, he probably would have told me, I don't know. But according to critical race theory, you find and see racism in every act. There's there's no place that you can't find racism because we have one group that is uh, the majority and the other group is a minority. One group is the oppressor. One group is the oppressed. So therefore, we have these influences and clashes of racism. But really what he was doing, he was really propagating a lie. When I go to an abortion clinic, which I've done for the past 10 years, me and my family, we've given our lives to fighting and contending at some of the largest and most demonic and evil abortion clinics in the U.S. And when we go out there, we're trying to save lives. Right. Regardless of the fact if it's a black baby or a white baby, we just want to see a life be spared. And I want to say to those of you who are listening today that there are 700 abortion clinics in the U.S., but only 30 percent of them have a Christian witness there. Hmm. Only 30 percent of the abortion clinics in the U.S. have a Christian witness there. We need to make our way to our local abortion clinics, because I say this all the time, that when you save a baby at an abortion clinic, you can have a two for one. You can save a baby and you can also win a soul because more than likely that mother is in a low place and she needs to hear the redemptive work of the gospel. And I want to say to any mother that's under the sound of my voice, uh, by statistics, 58 percent of mothers um, who have had an abortion identify as Christian. And you might be in this auditorium tonight. I want to tell you that you are for whom Christ has died for. And I want to let you know that you don't have to wallow in your guilt. 
You don't have to wallow in the past of what you have done. Christ has taken that deed and thrown it over his shoulder and he has placed a no fishing sign there. <laughs> and you don't have to go back and pick it up right. and regurgitate what you've done. I don't look at you as being post-abortive. I view you as a restored life yes. for who the son has set free is free indeed. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So a lot of great questions are being texted in. Here's one. What advice would you give to allow, you know, you're in Loudoun County now, so this is like the, you know, the epicenter for some craziness. And, and so oh what, what advice would you give to a Loudoun County public school teacher who just received training on how we need to be more inclusive with CRT, abortion, gender neutral acceptance? How can I take a stance without getting fired. And I don't know if that's even possible, but what, what advice would you give for someone in a predicament like this? Mm. All that it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. To do nothing. You have to be the voice that fights against it. If nearly 1% of this population can overturn the sanctity of marriage, why can't the church come together? We know the truth. We have the gospel. Why can't we unite and fight against critical race theory and all of these woke ideologies that have crept into our school system? Mm -hmm. I want to say to this uh, teacher that God is with you. And that he will empower you and enable you to resist what the king is telling you to do. We saw where Daniel in scripture would not bow. That's right. He continued to pray to God when he had a set time to do so throughout the course of the day. And yes, they threw him in a lion's den, but God was in the lion's den as well. Mm -hmm. And when you go out to your public school system, to your school, you're going to a lion's den. Wherever God is barred, that place is cursed. And when we took prayer out of the school system, a woman by the name of Madeline O'Hara did that. Mm -hmm. When we removed God from the school system and the Ten Commandments, a lot of godlessness came in. But the only way that we're going to beat back critical race theory is that someone has to do the heavy lifting, not worrying about being canceled. Yeah. Right. And being willing to lay down your reputation. I'm called all kinds of things because of my message. Yeah. But I don't worry about it. Yeah. My reputation was laid down at Calvary. Mm -hmm. You can't cancel me. Cancel me. Because I was canceled at Calvary. There you go. I'm already dead. That's right. Christ is already for me. That's exactly right. And I'm going to live to live again. And so therefore, stand boldly and stand courageously, but spread the truth in love. Yeah, that's good. Somebody asked the question about, do you have a good resource for CRT? And I'd say your book. Yes. Hey, of course, you can you can turn to uh, erase. This book will be um, released officially on October 4th. It was acquired by uh, Salem Books, which they released the documentary 2000 Mules. And so it's a reputable organization that published the book. You want to get a copy of it. 
but I would recommend men like James Lindsay as well. Okay. Although he does not share the same faith as us and right. we're still working on him. Right. Yeah. Right. We believe yeah. that Christ is going to, to, to save James Lindsay. I, I, I believe that he's going to have his Saul to Paul kind of yeah. Yeah. movement, but he is one of the foremost teachers on critical race theory. Yeah. So you would do yourself a good thing to, to yeah, research. He was at the conference with us. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. Um, and so question for you from your book, because he gave me a, a preview copy of it. And <laughs> so in, in chapter eight of your book, you say the enemy is counting on God's people to do nothing. Yes. So how can we as the people of God and as a church bring about change? Where do we start? Right. And so the, the Bible talks about teaching our hands to war and our fingers to fight. Mm-hmm. And so. Oftentimes people are looking for, for some big grand idea on how they can save the world. But you can go to your local school board yeah. and go there and pray. How about starting a prayer team or a prayer group outside of the school every time y'all have a school board meeting? Yeah. What if the church shows up and you find like-minded believers and you all pray there? How about running for public office? There you go. You know, you can run for public office and get on the school board and then begin to change the laws that are being placed and change what's what's being placed in the curriculum in our public schools. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many things that we that 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 we can do. And as it comes to the uh, the notion of fighting against racism, uh, critical race theory is a response, but it's a failed response. It's a woke response. It's a response to past injustices, but it's not the response that we should use that's going to bring about the right result. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't have a godly outcome using a worldly tactic. Mm-hmm. And so we must use God's truth to deal with these things. But we must make sure that within us, we are not propagating the very thing that we abhor, which is racism. Right. Right. And racism oftentimes is something that is pushed down from home to child. Yeah. We must make sure that we rid ourselves of prejudice and bias statements Mm -hmm. because those things seep into the heart and the mind of our children and they begin to look at others in the same way. And I believe that the sin of racism is a true evil. And it's one that Christ can deliver us from, but it takes one being intentional and checking themselves when they see these things come up from their heart. What would you say to white people who Mm. struggle with that white guilt? (laughs) All right. So my my cell phone is in the back. Sometimes I use my cell phone for this question. Okay. I don't have any friends who suffer from white guilt. Yeah. You can't be my friend. I hope I make some friends tonight. (laughs) But you can't be my friend if you suffer from white guilt. And here's the reason. If you suffer from white guilt, then that means that I should suffer from black shame. Right. Let that sink in. Mm -hmm. There is nothing shameful about what God did when he chose to make me a black man. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing shameful. Yeah. And I believe it was a song, James Brown sung it. He said, I'm black and I'm proud, right? And, and, <laughs> <laughs> Say it loud. 
out. <laughs> yeah. I'm back and I'm proud. You know, but <laughs> I feel good. I feel good. Come on, do the dance. Come on. There it is. Big hand for Pastor Gary. Come on. So <laughs> I'm proud to. A white man doing James Brown. That's pathetic. It works. It works. All right. Go ahead. And so, but I'm not a black man confused trying to be a white man. Right. I'm not a black man trying to be Asian or Hispanic or Pacific Islander. Right. I'm glad that God made me black. God chose a wonderful tapestry of colors. Yeah. He gave us that pigmentation for his glory. Mm-hmm. But the problem comes in is when we use our blackness or our whiteness as a tool to condemn others. Right. That's when the problem comes in. Right. But at the end of the day, we all bleed red. Right. Like we can appreciate cultural differences right. and, and uh, you know, the backgrounds that have shaped us. Sure. It's just when, when we start to use those things Correct. as, as uh, issues of animosity, that's where it becomes sin. That's right. right. We must appreciate the cultural differences and know that sometimes we might have our preferences. Right. Right. And there's right. nothing wrong right. with preferences. Yeah. The problem is when my preferences become inferior. Right. Or superior. It, or superior, right? right to right. another person's preferences or what they desire. That's when the problem comes in. So uh, this, is, this is a question from me. I've, I've often wondered, and I'm not going to mention Al Sharpton's name, but I... <laughs> oh, sorry. I've often wondered if, if some people seem to stoke the fires mm. as opportunists, almost like... If the issue can get healed, you know, and it's not like racism will ever be eradicated because as long as we have sinful humanity, we're going to have sin like racism until Jesus comes again in the world, you know. But does it, it, is, it, is it me or does it seem like there are people who stoke the flame for their own advantage? Yes. It just seems to perpetuate the, the hostility and animosity. Correct. And, and these individuals, I call them race hustlers. Hmm. And there's big money in being a race hustler. Uh, Patrice Cullors proved that. BLM proved that. Black Lives yeah. Matter proved yeah. that. Yeah. But all the money that they raised, and they, then they went and spent it on mansions in several right. different states. And what did black people get from all of the money that was raised through BLM? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Yeah. Um, America went backwards even... With many of the racial comments and statements and the tension that even Barack Obama brought to this country, mm. we saw some, some terrible things. And I was, you know, I was glad to finally look up there and see a black man as a president of the United States, the United States of America. I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. But there's something that matters more than the color of one's skin, and that's values. Right. You know, and we as Christians, we must vote our values and we must put our values over color. Right. right. Values and virtue. That's right. Values and virtue over color. That's right. And so so you have Al Sharpton, you have Jesse Jackson as well, who Jesse Jackson used to call abortion black genocide. That's right. Right. He he coined that frame, that, that, that term rather. But when he prepared to run for president for the presidency. Uh, he came out and sold his community down a river and he no longer would call it black genocide. He did everything to become a true Democrat. Yeah. And this is the problem um, that, that we see 
that the people who are the race hustlers, they know the only way to keep blacks on the liberal plantation is to keep them enraged over the past. Yeah. But, you know, my um, I didn't experience slavery. My mother didn't experience slavery. Her mother wasn't a slave and her mother wasn't a slave. Yeah. Right. I said in the beginning that America isn't a isn't a perfect nation. It's a flawed nation, but we have grown as a nation. And that is the beauty of this country. You even see right now, even through Brittany Griner, she would much rather be in America. Yes, she would. Right. A country that she hated. Yeah, right. Than be in Russia. Yeah. With her nine year sentence for marijuana. If she was in Colorado, she would have been free to, you know. (laughs) Yes. Even though I'm not for that law. All right. Yeah, yeah, I know. But But she's got nine years to think about how much better America really is. (laughs) Exactly. What, what would you say to, uh, there's a lot of questions that come in from school teachers because they, yes. they, they, they're, they're stuck and they're, they're trying to be witnesses for the Lord, but yet they're being told in the public system like they have to continue to perpetuate CRT and, and the woke agenda and transgenderism. Right. What, what would you say in general to people? So this could apply to school teachers who are are somewhat being forced to you know support some of this stuff but in general to all of us what would you say we want to love our neighbor but we're living in a culture where all these different things are being accepted and being celebrated what would you say how can we be loving but truthful at the same time what what's your advice for us well if you if you want to be honest with that question, in order for critical race theory to work, regardless of what you do, they're still going to label you as a racist yeah. for fighting against yeah. the intended purposes of CRT, which is to propagate racism. That's right. All right. To divide. Um, Ibram uh, Kendi, who wrote the book How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is really a book on how to be a racist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Critical race theory is racism. Mm -hmm. I call it the Jim Crow era in reverse. Blacks are attempting to do to whites what was once done to them. Mm -hmm. Now we can't put them on the same plane because some of the injustices that blacks suffered during that time frame were not the same as what's going on with many of the whites today of being labeled as inherently racist. Mm -hmm. However, if you fight critical race theory, be prepared to be labeled as a racist. Yeah. Now, I say to teachers who are in the public school system that we could, I could say to you to leave and to go to a private Christian school or go start we, a school. We or, got one. Or, we're starting. Or, yeah, we got one. There it is. Yeah, there you go. There it is. You can come and work at a, a, a Christian school here. That's, 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 a, that's a great choice. That's a great option. You know, and the more teachers that come, the more students that come, we can build some more mm-hmm. um, cornerstones yeah, around, the, around, around the state. Um, but we do need some to remain there to fight yeah. and to resist right. these ideologies. And I would love to come back to Leesburg. Yeah. Anytime. And to go to a school board meeting. Oh, they would love And give to them, do. like, for real. Yeah. I want to come. I'm coming back. I, I, would, yeah. you, I would love to. So I would you, love to come back to Leesburg to a school board meeting. And, to, and give them the what for. 
Yeah, give them the, the truth about the intentional indoctrination of critical race theory and how they are forcing black children to be victims. Yeah, that's I right. would love yeah. to come back. Yeah. And part of what I'm doing through uh, this, the, the, uh, the book, yeah. Erased, it's more than a book. I'm trying to launch a movement. Yes, you are. All right. Erased is a movement that loves all life, race and color, and sees all mankind, born and unborn, as one blood and equally valuable. That's right. I'm trying to start a movement. Yeah. Amen. Right? And so it goes beyond the book. Yeah. And right now I'm, I'm raising support. I've started a foundation. And so all uh, donations are tax deductible. And my plan is to get on liberal stations, to infiltrate Instagram and TikTok Mm -hmm. with the truth, Mm -hmm. to get on as many radio stations as possible and push back against these agendas. I would love to have an erased chapter in many of our public schools. What maybe maybe we should launch an an erased chapter in one of these public schools uh, in this area as a way as a means of fighting against these woke ideologies that the students can support. Give them your website. If you go to now, this is the longest website (laughs) known to man. God didn't give me a short last name. But I do have some cards out front when I signed the book. It's it's uh, www. and if you can spell that, I give you. I'll give you fifty dollars tonight. <laughs> but um, I have information at my table for my website that you can go to and find out more information there. Because the only way that we're going to fight this woke agenda yeah. is that we must have a strategy. And God gave me a strategy through the book to launch a movement to fight against these woke ideologies that's perverting our culture. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, John, I love you, brother. I I pray that God will continue to use you um, as he has and that he would open doors for you. And that uh, God would be glorified through your life and through your ministry. And I'm going to give you a chance to get a head start to the book table. Can we all give a hand to John? All right. He's... uh, He's going to be out there if you want to meet him, if you want to get a book. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had to share together in your house. And Lord, we just thank you that you um, so loved us that you gave your son Jesus to die for us. And and, uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing on John and his ministry. We pray you'd open doors for him, that you give him favor, that he would be truly a voice in this generation to address some of these issues we've been talking about tonight for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, may you bring reconciliation and may it start with the church of Jesus Christ. And may we be the example to the rest of the world of what it means to be white and brown and black and, and still worshiping together and loving together and honoring you together. And so we commit this to you, Lord. Give us safety on the road home in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great night.